from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Marketing Matters on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Barbara Kahn, the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing, and I'm joined by by my co-host, Professor Americus Reed, the Whitney M. Young Jr. Professor of Marketing and the Brand Identity Theorist. Hello, Americus. Hi, Barbara. It's been just a little bit since we've been podcasting. It's great to be back with you. I have something I want to share with you, which I thought was really quick uh, and, and, and quite interesting. And it is, it turns out I need my roof repaired. Okay. Uh-oh. And yeah. And that sounds uh, so expensive. It, it, by the way, it's actually <laughs> extremely expensive. But with two, two things happened, Barbara. First of all, the roofer came out, this particular roofer, a really well known brand, and they sent drones up there to look. It was so cool. He, and he's taking pictures with these drones on the camera. Uh, oh, wow. and, and checking out the roof and he's automatically downloading the pictures and, and um, putting them into uh, like a file that integrates the proposal and the, the contract and all that stuff. And I was like really impressed with the roofing company uh, and all that technology. But here's something that was interesting. So they said to me, Barbara, they said it's very expensive. Uh, I won't quote the price here, but they said that they need a third up front. And they said that if I pay the third, you know, they can get started in 14 weeks because they're backlog. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and I said, Barbara, you know what? I, I was reflecting on my own behavior and I was really uh, upset about this because first of all, you're going to hold my money for a little bit. And, I, and they were telling me about, you know, we need to procure the materials, blah, blah, blah. But it, remi- it, it here's what jumped to my mind. And I thought about you, Barbara, and what you say all the time, which you preach, which is that the customer experience, right? And how now, like in the Jeff Bezos world, this is not acceptable, like to wait 14 <laughs> weeks to get your, you know what I mean? In to no get your, world was it. it <laughs> but but I, was, I, I was self-aware, Barbara, that I was like, I've been taught now that I'm not supposed to wait. And in fact, even though Amazon is not in the roofing business, they've affected co- sort of my consumer expectations across all the domains. What are your thoughts on that? It was oh, interesting. absolutely. You know what? I, this is such an interesting discussion and I do have thoughts on it. But let me introduce our guest so he can join in on the discussion as well. So let me introduce Peter Adams, who's a reporter of Marketing Dive. Um, and it's delightful to have him. And he's thought about a lot of these issues. Uh, so hello, Peter. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm happy to be here for the kickoff to some of the new year uh, coverage you guys are doing. How do yes. you feel about my roof, Peter? Yeah, let me let me just comment on that, <laughs> Americus, before you push on. I think there were two things that Peter can comment on that you brought up. One is the expectation of, you know, delivery of service, which is what you focused on. But you passed over glibly these drones. And I think that's another <laughs> piece of it, you know, and I know yeah. Peter's written a number of articles mm-hmm. on the idea of technology and what we're seeing in technology it linking to CPG firms, linking to advertising, the role of AR and all this other stuff, you know, so here you are, you've just accepted these drones. With <laughs> I, did. Pictures. I did. But really, the two things that I think have happened during COVID is one, the expectation that Amazon has done that you can get everything yesterday. But it's also this acceleration to technology, mm-hmm. and the total acceptance of technology, and we're seeing a lot of brands doing things with technology. So Peter, what's your thoughts on all of that? Mm-hmm. With you know, regard to America's roofing situation. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting that you can have the kind of flashy technology component up front with the drones, but like you said, 
the actual service provided is maybe disappointing or not what you expected. So I think if they, I can't speak to what this company does, but I think if they <laughs> prioritized other aspects of their business versus having a, 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 the flashy lights show up front, maybe it would benefit <laughs> them in the long run. Uh, but I also know, and this ties into marketing and retail, you mm-hmm. know, the supply chain uh, material yep. sourcing continues Fair. to be a total Fair. headache. So I think that's a pretty common problem. Uh, including for companies like Amazon that are known for their efficiency. Yeah, you know, there we are. We have like, what, this is the new year. What are our trends? You know, we're talking about these trends. One is the expectation of increased customer experience and service Two, the role of technology everywhere. And three, supply (laughs) chain issues are not going away. We still have all those supply chain problems. That probably is part of the reason for the, some of your delay in your Interesting. Well, I, I will say this, Barbara, the drones were a hit, but the, the delay time is a miss. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I asked you if you, had, you did have a hit and miss. <laughs> well, along those lines, let's play our hit and miss game where we try to talk about things that have happened to us recently or in the news recently and determine whether it's a hit or a miss. I have a kind of an interesting thing and more generally want to talk about collaborations. But the collaboration that I wanted to feature is that Campbell Soup is collaborating with the retailer Camp. Now, Camp is a new type of toy store. It calls itself a consumer experience store where they Mm. don't only sell store uh, toys, they sell, you know, experiences for for kids to come into their store and there's a stage there and they play with different things. So it's more of an experiential toy store. But they've been partnering with Campbell's Soup and Campbell's Soup is making um, candles Mm. that smell like soup. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, So so they're they're coming up with a candle that smells like chicken noodle soup and tomato soup and grilled cheese. Um, And so they're marketing its product using the sensory element. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was curious what you think about that at a toy store um, as a collaboration. Interesting. Interesting. Got any jump, reactions? Is that yeah? J- jump in on this, Peter. I want to make sure that uh, you know I get your expert perspective here. Yeah, I mean, this kind of falls in line with what we've seen other packaged foods brands do, uh, and even restaurant brands. These kind of outside the box collaborations. One of my picks for this week is uh, along similar lines. Mm, uh, I'll tee that up for later. Okay. Um, you know, we saw something, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Arby's partnered with a distillery on creating a vodka that tasted like French fries, you know, yeah, the takeaway from a marketing perspective is that there's maybe a very small uh, niche pocket of consumers who are actually interested in this stuff, mm. but the big creative concept and the end goal is to Uh, produce exactly what we're doing right now is getting people kind of scratching their heads and talking about this and saying is this something that's really happening because that is a a hook for readers you know this sounds so far-fetched and soup flavored candles really doesn't sound appealing to me Uh, (laughs) I know soup can be a a warm and welcoming smell but the idea of synthetic soup or like a the smell of like a soup kitchen or something doesn't necessarily 
summon homey feelings for me. Mm. But, well, uh, you know, I mean, you're talking about the word of mouth aspect of it, which, of course, you're right. Here we are talking about it. I was also thinking about it in terms of this is an iconic brand, Campbell's. Yes. And they always mm. had very strong brand recognition, brand awareness and brand love, by the way, even if people don't want to drink canned soup anymore, they still love the Campbell's brand but you could imagine the little kids never heard of it and these mm -hmm. kids are not watching regular tv correct so they're not hearing the mm, 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 good campaigns anymore so mm -hmm. how are they going to learn about these nostalgic brands mm. and so in some sense i thought that was somewhat interesting you know yeah. you're tapping into a toy store where you have two yeah. consumers the the kid but also the parent the mm -hmm. parent does get the joke and they either like it or not maybe yeah. that's the word of mouth but the kid now is being exposed to this iconic brand in a way that, you know, they couldn't build the brand identity or the brand awareness or the brand That's knowledge yeah. the way you used to do with um, TV ads. Americus, you're the brand identity theorist. What do you think about this? That's a, it's a great question, Barbara. It, what immediately jumped to my mind was I, my 10-year-old daughter, Zora, uh, often talks to me, Barbara, in the context or in a vocabulary of smells. She describes smells a lot. And I guess, you know, when you're a kid, that's just part, you're, you're in the environment, you know, and you're like picking up on these things. So she seems to be like sensitive to that. So that may be part of like, okay, younger kids and smells and creating that connection early on may be one point of this. The other point, which is interesting <clears throat> was when I used to, I used to invite uh, this uh, one of the, principles of Campbell's to come to my class. And this particular person would always show this video, Barbara, of this older person talking about the red can uh, and talking about how the, the smell reminded him of his grandmother and like coming in from the snow on a, uh, on a, on a cold day and grandma's got the can of soup stirring the pot uh, on, the, on the stove and how that smell you know, really reminded him of his grandmother. So there's an opportunity to make some memorial linkages at some point, uh, but it could be a pretty smart thing to do, right? To start giving the children some kind of connection into the brand. And maybe it's not the old, you know, legacy per se, full on 100% as it were, but this is the way that they introduced the brand. So it is kind of interesting. And just to really quickly, Barbara, before you jump back in here, is that we all know, we all know, we are aware of sort of the, the auditory, what is it? I guess it's, a, it's, an, it's an entire field. Of this notion, olfactory. Yeah. Thank you, Peter. Um, and this is like a whole thing, right? People are studying this. I remember at one time, Peter, there was a, a person who had invented smells that could go along with your computer, a little box you put next to your computer. And as you're surfing the internet, it'll oh, pump geez. out smells that are associated with the retail environments on the internet. Uh, and so, you know, the, the sm smells matter. Uh, obviously, as we've found out in the COVID world. But I guess the question, Peter and Barbara, is to what extent do these smells matter for helping people sniff out a new understanding of the Campbell's brand? Yeah, I mean, that. I think that's kind of what's interesting. What is a brand identity here linking it up with these old past things going using, uh, you know, I'm looking at this second half of the article just to supplement what you were saying about smells. I guess they're also coming up with an NFT collection and they're linking some <laughs> kinds of songs. You know, it's like a multi-dimensional branding. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
and and Campbell's just historically it's been such a strong brand they don't yes. want to lose all of those associations grandmother you know chicken soup when you're sick and all yes. of those kinds of things yes. and how are they going to do that without traditional advertising because we yes. all know these digital natives they don't watch regular tv and regular that's ads. right that's right and there is a trend barbara because you've done a lot of work where you've talked to the principals at companies like mastercard where there's an attempt to sort of build sort of a sonic logo. And now, so maybe right. there's a smell logo, especially if you're a restaurant or a food company. It's really interesting. Yeah. So interesting collaboration. And there've been a lot of other collaborations. Um, you know, I just in retail, there's big story about um, Kohl's partnering with Sephora and Ulta partnering with Target. And a lot of the things that I'm trying to look for in teaching, because I'm teaching Marketing 101 this year, we're looking at what defines a good collaboration. Um, so like Ulta and Target, for example, are both, both going after the same consumer, a more price sensitive consumer, a more trendy consumer. Is that a good um, collaboration versus Sephora, which has the young consumer, but Kohl's has a more an older consumer, is that a good um, collaboration? Because one's complementary and one mm. is, you know, redundant in some sense. Which which way is better to collaborate? So I think a lot of you're seeing these weird, uh, you know, collaborations <laughs> over time. In this case, yeah. Campbell's and Camp. And Peter, yeah. you said you had one you were going to mention also. Yeah, uh, another packaged foods brand. That's a story I wrote today. Uh, Oscar Meyer, the uh, the meat brand that's owned by Kraft Heinz has uh, face masks. Uh, that I look saw like that picture. That is like amazing. If you want to go to Peter's story, is that oh. bologna? No, it's not bologna she has on her face. It's right? not actual bologna. It's oh, uh, Lord. to visually <laughs> resemble bologna. And uh, they partnered with a beauty and skincare brand called uh, Soul Mamas. It's a Korean uh, brand so it's an actual you know works as a spa quality kind of moisturizing face mask but it looks like lunch meat uh, and Oscar Meyer here is trying to do the double duty of um, you know evoking what they think is something a lot of kids did in their childhood which is put lunch meat on their face in that oh, way I did do that you cut out yeah. the eyes you cut <laughs> out the mouth and you put the bologna on your face I remember those days wait Barbara are you admitting to this wait a yes. second <laughs> actually until he said it I forgot that I have I have done that my mother right. used to make me bologna sandwiches they weren't very good to eat, so they made much better masks. <laughs> uh, interesting, interesting. So yeah, they're they're doing the uh, the double duty of that kind of nostalgia angle to it, but also kind of poking fun at how ridiculous some of this uh, you know self care messaging has become, and how mm. self improvement almost feels like homework uh, and, and and a stressful uh, kind of duty to uphold. And mm. you know the timing is with New Year's resolutions being a thing. You can look up the stats. Most people drop their resolutions pretty early on in the game. So they're yep. trying to add a little levity to these big self-improvement projects people tend to take on. I kind of get what they're going for conceptually. I was not a bologna eater growing up, so I never <laughs> did the face uh, eye hole cutout uh, idea. But uh, that, that whole imagery uh, does not summon positive associations for me, which is I, I put it as a miss. I can't help but think of 
uh, more kind of along the lines of Silence of the Lambs. Exactly. That's funny. You, it's funny you said that. Yes. It's uh, funny. You, it's funny you said that. That's the first thing that popped to my mind as well, Peter. I'm sure that's not what they're going for. But, uh, me and my whole team, when we saw that image coming across, kind of did a little uh, jump back in our seats. Uh, Interesting. So I kind of have to, you know, they're going for something warm and lighthearted, but there is kind of this grotesque aspect to it, even if it is something you did as a kid. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, putting meat, uh, lunch meat on your face in that way is a little unhygienic. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> not a little, a lot unhygienic. And it's funny. It's funny. Uh, not a not a connection I have to my own childhood. So whatever warm feelings are supposed to be there weren't there for me. So I labeled that a mess. Before you comment further, let me reintroduce everybody. I'm Barbara Kahn, along with Americus Reed. This is Marketing Matters. Today, we're joined by Peter Adams, who's a reporter of Marketing Dive. And we're talking about unusual collaborations. So I, I mentioned this camp store with Campbell's and Peter just brought up Oscar Mayer baloney as a face mask. So Americus, you... Uh, you got a history of baloney on your face or, or, or uh, <laughs> it's any funny. reaction? So I guess if there is a uh, baloney aversion scale with Barbara on one end, because <laughs> this is part of her childhood and Peter on the other end, because it's not, I guess I'm kind of in the middle. I mean, I used to eat, my, my mom used to make us uh, fried bologna sandwiches. Oscar Mayer, by the way, of course. Uh, so I, I'm aware of it. I didn't know the kids wore it on their face, but I, this is really, but you know, I mean, think about the richness of this conversation though. I mean, this is kind of exactly what I, this is what they wanted, right? They want to get like people like talking about it and it's interesting and there's levels of, of conversation that can happen all while we're sort of contemplating the Oscar Mayer brand. So, I mean, I think it's super interesting and, um, I'm not, I'm not sure if I could say it's a hit or a miss because we've obviously demonstrated here that it could be both actually. Yeah. Exactly. And it is a product you can buy. You can buy it on Amazon yeah. and it has all the ingredients that allegedly help moisturize your face or whatever a face mask is supposed to do. So who knows? Maybe it's a good skincare product. <laughs> kind of off-putting presentation. That's funny. So moving from collaborations to the metaverse, uh, this is the new year. Let's talk about lots of new things. So Peter, I see in your long list of articles that you've been covering a lot of metaverse stories. Mm -hmm. We've been kind of discussing what the metaverse is, but now uh, in the past with Facebook's change in name, we've, we've covered a couple uh, episodes of that, but you're now talking about some specific examples. Can you tell us what you've been covering on this metaverse activation? Sure. Yeah, no. So, it's, you know, the big buzzword uh, last year, as you said, with the Facebook rebrand, we started to see more kind of rolls of the dice uh, on actually doing something in uh, the metaverse, which is the idea of bridging, you know, a physical experience with a digital one, often through virtual reality. And it feels like with the Omicron surge recently, there's been a couple of brands that have tried to, you know, test those waters more. I know we kicked off some of our conversation when I first hopped on the call talking about uh, CES, uh, which had in-person attendance this year, already stripped back from prior years. But then with the Omicron surge, it like really plummeted and all the major exhibitors on the tech end pulled out or most of them did. Uh, so Samsung, which was already planning to present there, uh, had sort of worked with its agency publicists on uh, a sort of experience tailored to this platform called Decentraland, which is a blockchain powered interactive space. Basically, you can engage with it through a digital avatar, but also do stuff like uh, 
participate in activities. Uh, Samsung designed, they called them quests to get digital collectibles like NFTs. So they were already planning on doing this prior to CES, but then after CES's attendance took a huge nosedive with Omicron, it just seemed like a very prescient idea and a sort of uh, showed the utilitarian angle of metaverse related stuff. Uh, saying, hey, we can't do our usual big tech showcase, but you can come check out what we have on offer in this big, basically a gaming space where you can also get digital collectibles and, and do other activities that are typical to video games. So it's an Wait, interesting, so yeah. Being the digital immigrant as I am, as America's constantly reminds me, um, <laughs> how would I, I don't get it. To start from the beginning, how do I get, <laughs> yeah. how do I get Crypto, <laughs> NFTs, blockchains. <laughs> Barbara, I'm like, I have do no it. idea what he's talking about. <laughs> You're not alone in that. I mean, if you, yeah, if you look at the statistics about general familiarity or adoption of the foundational tech, it's not there. Uh, so CES is maybe a special case. It's an electronic show. People are looking for really forward-looking stuff. Uh, for this Decentraland thing in particular, you know, you have to have a, a sort of badge to enter the virtual space. Uh, but I really don't think it's that different from playing a video game. Mm. Uh, uh. So you basically sign on as a digital avatar and there are, uh, they, they describe them as virtual plots of land basically digital space that companies own that you can either rent out uh, or own yourself. Oh, but okay. They're starting to fetch, you know, serious real estate prices. You know, some of these things go for oh, million dollars. That's interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So, so the idea is that a provider yeah. owns the land and a brand can go in and rent this virtual land and turn it into basically a theme park online, uh, which is what Samsung did. Wow, that wow. is interesting. And I assume it's targeting a very young consumer, right? Young consumer, tech savvy consumer, and again, people who already have something like a MetaMask wallet or a cryptocurrency wallet. Uh, that, uh. <clears throat> So you need, the, you need the right currency to play in this virtual uh, metaverse yeah. game land. Interesting. It, interesting. It's almost like claiming a, a press badge at a conference. You know, you Got need it. this kind of digital certificate of ownership and then to sort of acquire additional items That's within really the game itself. And um, then you buy these NFTs within there, within this world? You can collect them. And then when I was talking to the publicist, the agency uh, folks behind it, you know, they were saying they hope that these collectibles people got at CES will be applicable to future events. So it's not just, you know, this one-off thing. It's like an enduring uh, little badge for entrance or for getting special perks Interesting. in, in Interesting. potential future activations. So. And is the, is the experience all a gaming experience or is like Samsung trying to sell product? Is it all about customer experience or? So their stuff was, you know, it showcased a variety of things. I don't think there was any shopping integrations. Uh, mm. That's still very fledgling metaverse. Ideally, these companies do want that to be a thing. Mm -hmm. But because it was tied to CES, it was... You know, so there was one room where you could see all their CES announcements, whether that was like, uh, you know, announcing a new smartphone or something. Mm -hmm. There was another room that was a live stream of a concert. So if you wanted to mm. attend uh, a DJ concert that was actually happening at their New York uh, flagship store, but you were remote, uh, that was a way to experience that. And then also 
there was a, a, a sort of virtual forest that meant to showcase a new sustainability partnership that Samsung Interesting. has. Interesting. So, and these are all in this decentral land. Well, yeah, right? all located in uh, one space. I mean, you can see other brands. Uh, Nike's an example. They now have Nike land inside yeah. of Roblox where mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you can do, when you think of like what people do with video games, you know, you can play dodgeball with other avatars online, but they also have like a virtual showroom. So you could try on, the latest Air Force One model. Yeah. Uh, so you could see in the future if you can purchase from that, whether it's a digital good or a physical version of the good. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's kind of what companies want to happen that's eventually. Mm -hmm. Interesting. People will spend enough time in these platforms to want to buy custom outfits for their avatar or something. Yeah, I'm wondering, Peter and Barbara, like interesting when you use the word real estate. That was really fascinating to me, uh, Peter, because what popped into my mind was, you know, well, well, what we see in the real world, sort of also manifest into this metaverse world where there's super you know it's a manhattan metaverse costs way more than like yeah, the yeah. iowa the metaverse. corner office with yeah. the two windows yeah <laughs> yeah it's really interesting right how people will form it consumers barbara forming an impression or a preference uh of a digital space right and like what 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 is the cachet of a digital space what does that mean to a person how how they're willing to pay to be much willing to pay much more to be in one space versus some other space that could eventually or essentially give them the same thing. It's, it's very interesting. Yeah, I guess it makes sense if you start thinking you're spending time in these virtual worlds. Um, so the quality of the time is going to matter. If I'm in this virtual world, I'd rather be in a better place than a worse place. <laughs> and it kind of makes sense, right? If it, it's predicated on the notion that you're willing to spend hours and hours and hours in a virtual world rather yes. than being in a real world, which yes. for me personally, I'm not willing to do. Nope, not there. <laughs> yeah, this, is, this is the big hump for a lot of people is, you know, companies are making these bets under the suspicion that eventually way more people will want to spend a significant portion of their time doing this stuff. But I think especially if and when, you know, the COVID stuff clears up, people are going to want to get out more. They're going to be want to spend, be spending less time doing that. Um, and, you know, the adoption isn't there. So there are yeah, these niche communities that, that love this stuff and they're <laughs> all about it. But in terms mm -hmm. of the mainstream appeal of this metaverse stuff, it's very unproven. Interesting. But like, I was never a gamer either. You know, I'd rather go out and play, you know, right. sports on the street than play right. video games. So I would imagine there's heterogeneity uh, with regard to the appeal of the virtual world. Right. And, and also just to the point quickly, Barbara, just the idea, you, you made me think of something else in your conversation and what you also said, Peter, which is this idea of competition is expansive in this context, right? It's like the metaverse is competing with Netflix, is competing with whatever it is that you do in your leisure time, right? So it, it better be really, really good for it to draw you in terms of some sort of gravitational pull. Yeah, well, that's really great, Peter. Thank you so much for joining us today for our New Year's discussion of the newest trends in the consumer world. And where can our listeners go to keep up with you and your most recent articles? Uh, marketingdive.com. Uh, and we have a daily newsletter you can sign up for, or you can follow me on Twitter at patchadam 3 on Twitter. Nice. Thank you very much. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk with um, the marketing expert from Hormel Foods. This is Marketing Matters, Business Radio, Sirius XM 132.